Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Praise Team, for leading us this morning. Uh, happy New Year still. I think we can still wish people a Happy New Year. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us if you're visiting with us today. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little different today for those who are visiting with us. There's a couple of tables in the back with some cups on them, and we would like to give you one of those as a gift for being here today. And so uh, right after service this morning, if you're visiting with us, if you'll head back to one of those tables, you can get that gift, and we'll have somebody from our uh, leadership team here to meet you, and we would love for you to stick around afterwards for a Bible class, and one of those individuals, myself, John, a few others will be there. Uh, we can get you into a great class that we'll meet right after uh, first service today. We're going to be having a bit of a, a standalone sermon this morning. Uh, next week, Kevin's going to kick us off in a new series, uh, but with the fact that we're not really sure what day Jessica's gonna, going to deliver this month, I, I said, Kevin, can I preach a sermon today? And then we'll just kind of leave the rest of January open for you. And he said, sure, very, very encouraging and supportive. And so today we're going to have kind of a standalone lesson, uh, but it's also connected to something that we talk about a lot uh, and we try to speak about each week, our mission statement as a church of making and nurturing disciples is something that we try to, to keep in front of our congregation about what we're about. And today I want to explore that, uh, not from a sense of making and nurturing other disciples in our life, but making and nurturing discipleship in our own life. And what does it mean for us as individuals to say that, that we're trying to be a disciple? And I think there's a, a passage that we can look at this morning that can provide for us uh, some helpful wisdom and insight as we begin a new year and as we refocus on things that matter most. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at a passage that was read just a bit ago, but I want us to hear it again in John chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. The words will be on the screen behind me. We read these words in John 1. The next day, John the Baptist again was standing with two of his disciples and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You were Simon, son of John. You were to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for these words of Scripture, and I pray that they would speak fresh to us this morning. I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your Son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. About 15 years ago, there was an article released in Psychological Science that released this study that had been done by some researchers at the University of Oregon. And what these researchers found is that they were studying college students who were learning new languages. 
And what they found is that as a college student or as an adult would learn a new language, they would more often than not have this tendency to begin to forget their native tongue or their first language or their original language. So, for example, if, if someone were to go to Germany and begin to learn German, who was originally English-speaking, if that was their native tongue, that the longer that they learned this new language of German, the more likely it was that they would forget their original language, their native tongue. And they, they called this phenomenon first language attrition. Now, you probably notice that second word sounds a lot like the word atrophy that is often used in the medical community. And if you are in the medical community, you know what atrophy means. It, it means that a muscle is getting weaker because it's not being used. That, that a muscle can diminish over time when it's not worked on a regular basis. That if it's not worked, then it fails to work. And the same phenomenon that can happen with our muscles can also happen with our language, with our speech. And so if someone begins to learn a new language, and the more time they spend in that new language, the more likely they are to begin to forget their first language, their first language, their native tongue atrophies. If it is not worked, then it will stop working. And I want to use this idea as a, as a kind of metaphor for us this morning in thinking about discipleship and in, in thinking about what it means to be followers of Jesus. Because I think a similar thing, a similar dynamic can happen in our lives of discipleship. And what I mean by that is, is that for a lot of us, the longer that we follow Jesus, it is easy for us to get influenced and informed by other voices uh, by other opinions, and we can get away from that original language of Jesus, from our native tongue of discipleship, from those first words of discipleship. And we can end up in a direction that is far, far from the original intention of what Jesus had in mind when he began to call his disciples. And that's why I've chosen the Gospel of John as our text for this morning. Because I love the Gospel of John because it doesn't tell the story of Jesus in quite the same way as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As many of you probably know, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And typically, Matthew, Mark, and Luke get clumped together. They echo each other in a lot of ways. They use similar statements and stories from the life of Jesus. And then you have the Gospel of John. And John tells the story of Jesus, but he does so from a unique angle. And we understand that John is telling the story of Jesus from a unique angle, from the very first words of his gospel. Because Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. Mark starts his gospel in the wilderness with John the Baptist. Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he's giving us this orderly account and he starts with Zechariah in the temple. And then, these are the opening words of John's gospel. He writes, in the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We step into John's Gospel, and the very first word sets the tone that things are going to be a little bit different in this Gospel. Of all the ways that he could start, he starts with this poem, with this song, with this really interesting prologue. 
to set us up as the reader to enter in to the gospel, understanding that this is going to be a bit different of a take on the story of Jesus. And that's going to continue through the first chapter of John and throughout the entire book of John. But it's, it's the first chapter of John that we're focusing our attention on this morning. Because after this prologue with this poetic introduction, John then talks a little bit about John the Baptist in a unique way compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we get to the story of the calling of the first disciples, our focus for our sermon this morning. And John tells the story of these calling of the disciples in a unique kind of different way. And I think by paying attention to the difference that John highlights, that it can make all the difference in how we understand what it means for us to be disciples today. Men and women who are trying to become disciples ourselves. And I think that difference that I want to highlight this morning boils down to the first words of Jesus and the first words of the disciples. Now concerning the first words of Jesus, these are really important to John's gospel. And what's really interesting about John's gospel, he introduces Jesus as the word, but it takes 38 verses before the word of God ever speaks. So he's telling about the word, he's telling about John the Baptist, and then finally, we get to this place where Jesus utters the first words in John's gospel. So as the reader, we are expecting, anticipating, excited about what are going to be the first words of the word of God made flesh. And this is what we read in verse 38. The next day, John again, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to him, said to them, what are you looking for? The first words of Jesus in John's gospel are a question. They're a question, not a question that should be heard as that of an irritated parent. What do you want? That's not how it should be heard. These are the questions of someone who is inviting. This is an intriguing question. If you notice how it's translated in a few other places, I think this adds meaning to how we hear this question. The question that we just heard in the NRSV, what are you looking for? In the NIV, what do you want? In the ESV, what are you seeking? And then finally, in the message, what are you after? I like seeing the different ways that this gets translated to get at the heart of what I think Jesus is getting at with his question. And I think his question is getting at the heart of these disciples, of these potential disciples. That he asks them a question, the first words of Jesus that caused them to stop and ask some deeper questions of their heart. What am I after? What do I want? What am I seeking? And what's really important about John's gospel is, is not that those questions are just for potential disciples then, but they're also for disciples now, potential disciples in the here and now, that that's a question that not just they should hear, but we should hear too. 
That's the thing that we can't forget about John's gospel. At the very end of his gospel in John 20, he's going to tell us in verse 31 that he has written this entire gospel so that we might believe. He breaks the fourth wall, so to speak, and he speaks to us as the reader. I want you to believe. And so here we read this question, and, and it kind of should feel like that scene in the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Some of you have read the, the C.S. Lewis series about Narnia. And there's that scene in the voyage of the Dawn Treader where Edmund and Lucy and Eustace are standing in front of the painting of that big ship. And then before they know it, they get sucked into the painting, and there they are standing on the ship. They are sucked into the storyline. And a similar kind of dynamic should happen when we read this question of Jesus. That it should echo out from the pages and draw us in and force us to ask that same question as potential disciples. What are we looking for? What are we seeking? We should ask ourselves some questions of the heart. This question of Jesus then should still resonate with us today. A few weeks ago, I read a book some of you have read. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Some of you know of this book. Some of you have read this book before. It's written by a guy named Michael Easter, and it's a really fascinating book where he talks about that, that in our American world, we have grown to be way too comfortable in our lives. And he goes on to say that, that our comfort is, is killing us. It's getting the best of us, that we need to be challenged in ways that we are no longer challenge. And so he writes about different areas of our life where we have grown comfortable and complacent in our world. But he doesn't just write about these theoretically, he writes about these personally because what he does, and it's kind of this big narrative arc of the book, is that he chooses to remove himself from his comfortable life to go to the Alaskan Arctic to go hunting for caribou. And so the book traces his journey of moving through these open, cold, frozen plains. Not quite what we're experiencing today, a little bit worse than that, as he goes on this hunt with some of his buddies and some of his friends. And I couldn't help but think of this image as I pondered this question of Jesus for us today. What are you after? What are you seeking? I think about people who are hunters. I am not a hunter. I'm, I'm more like Charlie in the Christmas story, you know, the, the Red Ryder BB gun is probably enough for me. But some of you are hunters. And you know what it's like to, to get up early and to be focused on something, to go after something, to focus your time and your attention and your effort and your resources, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it's a cold, windy morning, you're, you're out to seek something. You want something. There's this deeper longing within you. I think it's this helpful image that should come to mind for us as we think about what it is for us to ask ourselves some deeper questions as disciples. What are we after? What do we want? What are we seeking? This is the first question that Jesus asks potential disciples that I think Jesus is still asking us today, and it makes all the difference and how we understand discipleship. But like I said earlier, I don't think that what is significant about John's gospel is just the first words of Jesus, but also I want us to pay attention to the first words of the disciples because those are different and they make all the difference in how we understand what it means for us to follow today. 
Notice what the disciples say in response to Jesus. When Jesus turned, he saw them and he said to them, what are you looking for? And then they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. The first question or the first words of the disciples to Jesus in John's gospel are also a question. Rabbi, where are you staying? There's a few things we should notice about this question. The first is the title that they give Jesus before they ask the question. They call him Rabbi. They call him Teacher. This is a significant moment in the life of these disciples because just a couple of verses earlier, what were they referred to as? Who were they? They were disciples of John the Baptist. And now, by calling Jesus rabbi, teacher, something deeper is going on about their loyalty. Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe the scene as they drop their nets and follow Jesus. John describes the scene in such a way where it is the casting off of a previous religious loyalty to now follow this new teacher, this new religious teacher, a new rabbi, a new teacher. They have changed their fundamental identity with this statement to Jesus, but then it gets further understood and further expanded by the question, where are you staying? They are not asking this question in order to avoid Jesus' question. But their question is actually answering Jesus' question to them. They now desperately want to know, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they come and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him. It's the same word that gets used here. Stay, remain. Stay. And this word for stay or remain or abide is going to become this really important word in John's gospel as he talks about what it means for us to be disciples. That this word is going to weave throughout John's gospel and it's going to culminate in probably one of the most famous passages in all of John's gospel. Because at the end, in Jesus' farewell discourse, he's going to say these words in John 15 to his disciples, using the same word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here's the word. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And if you keep reading through John 15, this word remain is going to get used over and over and over again. Or as some translations put it, abide, abide, abide in me as I abide in you. It's the same word used here in John 1, 38 and 39. That the journey of discipleship begins with this desire. Where are you staying, come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him. And then in John 15, remain in me. It's this call of discipleship throughout the gospel of John. These two questions, I think, make all the difference in how we understand what it means for us to be disciples today. 
Two very simple questions, but significant questions. Jesus' question. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What do you want? And then the disciples' question back that is equally as revealing about what it means for us to be disciples. Where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where are you remaining? These two questions, I think, remind us of the original call of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That disciples are people who seek Jesus and they stay with Jesus. That they seek Jesus more and more in the deepest places of our hearts. And we stay with Jesus more and more. And I hope you'll notice the dynamic of seeking and staying. Just to remind us that we're always in this process. There's always dynamic movement in the journey of discipleship. That we seek Jesus and we stay with Jesus in the deepest places of our heart that shapes our entire life. In 1912, some of you know, April 14th, 1912, uh, the tragedy that we know as the Titanic happened in the Atlantic Ocean, in the frigid waters of the Atlantic Ocean. But what a lot of us don't know about is what happened two years later in 1914. 110 years ago this month, an equally tragic moment happened right off the coast of Virginia on a very foggy morning where a ship, the SS Monroe, was out on open water and a merchant vessel called the Nantucket struck it and it ended up sinking the Monroe. Forty-one sailors passed away in those frigid Atlantic waters right off the coast of Virginia. It was this tragedy. Congress called a hearing in order to figure out what happened. And originally, it was the captain of the Nantucket a guy named Captain Osmond Berry, who was initially charged because it was the Nantucket that hit the Monroe. But during the hearing, in the cross-examination, to a guy named Captain Edward Johnson, he had this five-hour cross-examination. He was the captain of the Monroe, the ship that sunk. And over the course of those five hours, it was discovered what the issue was that caused this tragic nautical accident that the captain of the Monroe, Captain Johnson, was using a compass that was two degrees off from the standard compass deviation. Two degrees off that, that in the year that he had been captaining this ship, he had never taken the time to recalibrate his compass in order for it to properly direct the ship. And it was that two degrees off that got him off course, and that is why the Nantucket unexpectedly struck and sunk the ship. Two degrees on the compass made all the difference in this tragedy. Our hearts are compasses that direct our lives. And it is so important for us to to recalibrate them on a regular basis to allow them to be refined and honed over and over and over again by the words and example of Jesus. And I think these two questions this morning should have that effect on our hearts. What are you seeking? What do you want? And equally as important, 
Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? My hope and my prayer as we are still at the beginning of a new year, that these questions would reorient us about what matters most in our lives. And that we can trust that if we allow those questions to to recalibrate the compass of our hearts, that God can take us on an amazing adventure, just like he did with those first disciples. That that is this invitation that is constantly being offered to us today. So this morning, if if you have any response to the invitation, this, this constant invitation of Jesus that continues to call out, You can come down front and we can take a response that way. For some of you, it's just a matter of you need to to recalibrate. You you need to remind yourself of what's important because you've lost the way. So if you need prayers, you can come to the front. We're also going to have shepherds in the back. Whatever your need is, you can do that now while we stand and sing.